Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're speaking with Asia Harvey Wright, who goes by Harvey, about their first steps in their Buddhist practice after encountering the practice of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo in 2020 during one of the darkest periods of their life. I was so moved by their courage to dig deep for their bootability in the face of addiction and mental health challenges, and how, in the process, they unearthed their own hope and creativity. I'll let Harvey share the rest. My pronouns are they and them. Uh, I am 25 years old and I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. And I work at a daycare in the mornings and at a music school in the afternoons. I see. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited to talk. Um, so this episode, broadly, it's definitely geared towards people who are just kind of exploring Buddhism. So I appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk us through your journey. Um, so why don't we just start with the beginning? Um, if you could tell me the story of how you encountered SGI Nichiren Buddhism in the first place, when that was, and then why why were you interested in it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been like super interested in Buddhism in general, kind of like since I was maybe 20 years old, um, uh, a few years prior to like me actually starting the practice, I had been, um, uh, going through some like mental health treatment in a hospital and, um, they had a chaplain come in and, um, the chaplain basically had, these little like pamphlet things of like every single like practice that you could have. Like it was not just like Christian or Jewish or anything, but something about just like the Buddhist, um, I was always kind of super drawn to that. So fast forward to 2020, um, I was, uh, trying to finish my bachelor's at a music school here in New York. And, um, I encountered this professor who I just kind of took a liking to and I was, I felt comfortable enough kind of sharing my story with my mental health journey. And she could see that I was kind of really struggling and just really wanting for something. Mm -hmm. So she shared with me that she and her family practice like SGI nature and Buddhism. And she said, Hey, like, I don't have all the answers, but I know this is something that was extremely helpful for me and my family. And like, she started practicing, her husband introduced her when they were in college and they passed it on to their son. And it, it, I was already intrigued from that point. And I was like, you know what? Like, I have nothing right now. Like, I'm going to give this a try. Oh, wow. So do you remember like how long it was from the time that you were in the hospital and sort of had that first encounter with Buddhism to, to when you met this, this professor? Um, maybe like two years. Okay. And in the interim, you didn't pursue Buddhism. This was like no. your first. First, whatever reason, I thought that like, maybe the way it was presented to me it seemed more of like a philosophy and I wasn't, I wasn't, um, which it is, but like, I didn't kind of comprehend the fact that this was something that people were actively practicing and that I could actively practice 
you know, Buddhism. Um, so if I knew that then, I definitely would have. But like, I guess, I don't know if maybe the chaplain wasn't as knowledgeable on like chanting or whatever it may have been. But um, it just wasn't presented to me in that way until I got to college um, the second time around. <laughs> I see, I see. It's interesting, actually, because I think a lot of people have that experience or kind of perception of Buddhism where like I'm down with Buddhism generally it's like a philosophy that people might believe but it I I feel like I've heard that multiple times if I didn't realize it's something you could practice or do mm. like like there's activity related to it yeah so uh, I I'm curious then what your initial experience of chanting was or like once kind of you, you know, so you hear about Buddhism, you already sort of had been interested. Um, and then what were your sort of first steps to like get into the practice and how did it, how did it feel? Mm-hmm. So I started off by going to a lot of um, hosted by my college. There were like intro to Buddhism meetings, like oh. discussion meetings um, oh. on Zoom. Um, and I went to a bunch of those and like got to get familiar with, you know, I started subscribing to the publications and all of this, but I didn't start chanting because I just, for whatever reason was like, not, I didn't realize what an integral part that was. So like, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks before I actually tried chanting for the first time. And once I did, I remember it was like, late at night like I um was like alone in my room and at the time I like shared my room with my sister I was living at my parents house and like I was alone and I was like just put on the yap and like like the SGI USA um app that we have and um I just felt such an overwhelming sense of like peace Mm -hmm. and like we'll probably get into like some of the other trials that I had been dealing with during that time but um for the first time I was just like whoa like I had to stop it I had to stop the app the chanting app and just like kind of sit with this new feeling of like just serenity that I had never really had for the past several years wow and yeah no no, no go ahead sorry I'm just like no. that I'm visualizing <laughs> that moment <laughs> mm-hmm. It was, it was really, I, I'll never forget that moment, the first time I, I started chanting. And I'll be honest, like, it's still something that I struggle to keep a daily practice with, but, like, maybe I'll miss a day here, a day there. So I think overall that's something for me to, you know, turn around and chant about. is <laughs> just, like, the diligence and determination to really take care of myself in all of these ways. I hear you. Um... So, so yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more about the context then since you um, mentioned it a little bit. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, only as much as you're comfortable sharing as I, I know it's personal, but what, what sort of was going on in your life at the time that you started to sort of explore Buddhism that, you know, maybe you wanted to transform or you were struggling with? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess rewind back to when I was 20 and like in the hospital for the first time, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type two. So that essentially means that like I have episodes of hypomania, which is can last from anywhere to like maybe two, three days to like a week for me. 
um, where you're just like extremely elevated and like you're super happy and, you know, everything is amazing and, you know, you're kind of very impulsive and et cetera. But um, for the majority of the time, like maybe for months on end, what I experienced was like crippling depression. Um, and um, oh, sorry, <laughs> um, it's just kind of frustrating. Um, so 2020 was I like to call my bottom. Um, I uh, had acknowledged the fact that I had a drinking problem like several years before, but um, was still kind of like actively engaging in that behavior. And it was starting to spread to other substances, let's just say. And um, it was becoming like a daily thing to the point where I was just really like, I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, like, 25 you know like I was like that was kind of my cap I think I might have been 24 or something and I was like I don't know if I'm gonna live to see this birthday Mm -hmm. and um I just uh I was really really just getting very reckless I was at a job that I hated and I was using at work and you know like I was just very unhappy like universally, I was very, very unhappy. And I was desperate, I think, for something to give me some sense of relief, which is why the like using of the substances and the drinking was so appealing. But of course, like that is very temporary. And like, that doesn't really solve the problem. It's like putting a bandaid over something that you need stitches for, you know, like, Mm. it's not, um, it's not really an answer. And I think that's why I was so drawn to using because that um, mimicked the hypomania and that mimicked that kind of sense of um, elevation and um, like happiness. And I thought that like, oh, well, you know, if I'm doing this, then I feel fine and I don't necessarily feel depressed. And I, and it didn't even, it started out like maybe I would be partying and like with friends, but it turned into like me at work. I worked like early morning shifts at 6 a.m. And like I was doing it there or like in my house by myself, like in my room playing music. And like, it just kind of was spiraling to the point where like, I didn't know if that would be enough. And then like, what's the next thing after that? And I didn't want to find out, you know? Um, But that's just kind of like addiction in general kind of like is a progressive illness. And um, I think ultimately I was just searching for peace. And that's something that I have found with this Buddhism. And like, that's something that, Like, I didn't stop using right away, but I was, like, introduced to people that introduced me to, like, you know, groups and support things that, you know, I was able to slowly but surely. It took me a long time. I started in January of 2021, and I didn't get clean until um, maybe, like, September of 2021. But now I have like four months clean and sober. And um, I think this Buddhism is like a really big part of that because I was able to um, supplement that kind of like lost hole inside of my body, (laughs) you know, and just like fill it with 
love and like mentorship and you know all of these people that I've been able to meet and these meetings and like things like that yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing honestly um I'm imagining that there are so many sort of ups and downs in that process too and um and many people will be able to relate, you know, whether they explicitly are challenging addiction right now, or it's actually, I think a very human thing, right? If you feel like a, some sort of an internal lack, that's what we do. We find things that fill them, however, temporary, and often they are short term and varying degrees of safe, but, um, but it's very, very human. So, um, so I'm, I'm wondering then, um, you said you you started practicing essentially the beginning of 2021, right? So you encountered it in 2020 and then the mm-hmm. practice sort of you chanting and building kind of was all of last year. Yeah. Um, so after that initial day when you said that you felt this like serenity for the first time, um, did you continue chanting right away or like what did the sort of steps look like in terms of I'm thinking from the perspective of someone who's like, yeah, I tried chanting the other day. Like now what, you know, what, Mm -hmm. what kind of were the steps that you, you sort of took to, to start building a more consistent practice if at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't chant again right away because I was like scared. I could tell like this was such a powerful kind of like, um, cause on my life. And I was like, am I ready? Like I knew that everything was going to kind of be flipped on its head if I was dedicated to this and like able to keep it in a consistent way. I just knew like, I wouldn't be able to keep using the way that I was. And like, I wouldn't be able to like engage in certain behaviors that I was because like, I maybe wouldn't want to. And I was like, am I ready to let go of this kind of lifestyle that I'm sort of entrenched in right now um, to like build a better life for myself? And I had to really like ask myself, I don't know if that makes sense, but like I, I wanted to like ask myself like, okay, like what does this mean for my life now? Like if I'm chanting, if I'm going to be like committing myself to this practice and like giving it a real try what what is my life going to look like and what do I want my life to look like you know Mm -hmm. and then I think I really had to acknowledge the fact that like even though I was doing all these things over here like I wasn't really happy and I wanted to see a change so Mm -hmm. it took a couple days but like I couldn't stop thinking about it like when I wasn't chanting I was like oh my goodness that was incredible but like I'm scared of change, you know? Mm. And like, but I finally was like, okay, let's just try it one more time. You know, let's see what happens. (laughs) I completely hear you. Um, I think that also that, uh, that feeling of change is difficult um, is very universal. And this is so random, but as you were talking, I remembered one time I was in a meeting and it was like a Q and A session at a Buddhist meeting. And this person asked this question that just, has stayed with me forever where she was like, like, I, I like chanting. Like, this is all great. Like I'm into the practice, but like, what do you do if you're afraid of the power of your own life? Mm. And I was like shaken by that question. Cause I think that is a huge aspect of it. Like it's there, but what if I'm afraid to even tap into it? Cause I'm so used to not tapping into it, Mm -hmm. you know? 
So it reminded me of that. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so in terms of, um, you know, once you did start practicing and you're going to more Buddhist meetings, um, what difference did you start to see like chanting make in your life? Oh my goodness. Like so much in every single aspect of my life. Like I think, I think very similar to what you just said about being afraid of the power of my own life. Like I kind of started to realize that and started to challenge that in different ways, like um, across the board. So like, I guess I'll start from, so that job that I hated, I quit. (laughs) And um, I got another job at a music school and I'm a musician. So like, it was just more aligned with what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was in this relationship that was like, not great. We'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, she like broke up with me the day before Valentine's Day. And um, I was very kind of like, I don't know, I wasn't even upset about that loss. But I was just upset that like, I was dating somebody and they weren't the person for me. And it was almost like, I don't know if that makes sense, like a waste of time. So I started chanting, like, I want to meet, like, my person. And I want to meet, like, somebody that, like, I'm actually going to be with for a long time. And that, like, maybe we can get married. Maybe we can have a family. But, like, I want my person. Like, I feel like I'm doing – and this is kind of – I'm jumping around a bit. Like, this is a few months later after I've been chanting for a while. And I felt like I was doing a lot of work on myself. And, like, I was in therapy. And, like, I was starting to, like – put down all the substances and I felt like I was doing a lot of work where I was maybe ready to meet my partner Mm. and we met (laughs) like um we've been dating for almost a year and like now we're living together in Brooklyn and um that was also another benefit was me being able to move out of my parents house because they struggle with addiction as well and that was always a trigger for me um and I was able to go back to school because that time that I was in school, that I was introduced to the practice, I since dropped out. So I went back to that same school with that same amazing professor. And um, yeah, like now I'm just chugging along, trying to get my degree. I am getting more clarity on what I want to do with my life and what that looks like in my music and in my education and I do, I will say, like, it's not all sunshine and roses, but if I could just quote, um, paraphrase, let's say, um, Sensei for a minute, like, uh, he says, like, it's not always snowing, it's not always raining, and above the clouds, like, there's sun. Actually, I have it right here. Maybe I can read it. Um, Yeah, yeah, sure. um, At times... You may feel that you cannot believe in anyone, that no one loves you, or that you have no reason to live. But do not judge yourselves. You must never give up on yourselves. There is no one who does not have a mission in this world. You would not have been born if you did not have a mission to fulfill. It doesn't rain or snow all year long. And remember, the sun is always shining above the clouds. Wow, I love that. I know, right? It's like, ah, 
every I'm reading um, discussions on youth right now, and that's like literally in like the pre- preface. <laughs> but <laughs> but I thought it was so profound, and I think that, and also the guidance that he, um, oh, I think it actually was um Nichiren Daishonin shared guidance on um you know after winter comes spring, mm-hmm. and um I think about that a lot. I really do. And that's what I meant when I said, like, to have a practice based on, like, mentorship, like, with, like, Daisaku Keita and, like, all the presidents and Nichiren um, Daishon. And, like, every time that I read something or every time that I'm feeling lost now, I know I can turn to my mentor or, like, his mentor or his mentor, <laughs> you know? And, like, it's there's always something to be found about anything. And I really love that about this practice. Yeah, completely. I always view it as um, like, it's almost like a a braid or a chain, Mm. you know, like what one human being can access within them and create for the world in their lifetime has a limit, but what a succession of people can do doesn't have a limit. Mm. And so for that reason, like it's, yeah, you're not just picking yourself up by yourself on the hard days, right? It's like the the wisdom and compassion of many people before you and many people after you that's embedded in that lift, you know? So it, yeah. it's also, yeah, I, I love I love having that aspect of the practice too. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask one thing because um, it sounds like, you know, um, what you're sharing, it's like this really beautiful sort of uh, like spiritual or emotional kind of opening, you know, like from mm. what you describe where you were and where you are now. I mean, it's not the absence of problems or the absence of these things that you've described, you know, um, but you're like able to continue, you know, and I'm just wondering from the perspective of someone who is completely new and might be like, okay, um, chanting sounds interesting, but then like, what is sort of your daily life look like? So I'm curious if we could try to break it down. So maybe just briefly, like, so you first have this conversation with the professor and then they introduce you and you start going to those um, introductory meetings, I guess, at your campus. Mm -hmm. And then you try chanting and then, you know, were there any kind of turning points or like this kind of understanding that you now have of the practice? What helped you sort of gain that? And and what did your sort of, practically speaking, life look like for someone who's like, well, what do you mean you practice Buddhism? You know? Hmm. Um. I think something that really always stuck with me was just the notion that like everyone inherent in themselves is a Buddha and possesses Buddha nature and like just moving throughout the world with that in mind and like not only how it, it affects how I look at myself but like how I look at other people not that I was ever like malicious or unkind but like to see the value of everyone's life you know, I think really shifted how I was moving through the world. And also I think as I continue to practice and I mentioned, I used to share a room with my sister and she actually asked me about chanting and now she chants and my other sister who had her own room um, chants as well. And I think sharing the practice with others just deepens my own understanding about the practice and like what it means for me. And like, it helps me realize how important this practice is to my own life and like realizing the value of my own life when I'm like so 
grateful when somebody else is expressing interest and someone else is like, Hey, like, can you show me how to chant? You know, like, I'm just like, yes, <laughs> you know, like, of course I can. Um, and like, I think for my sisters out of like anyone that was really special to me. Um, and they are seeing their benefits in their own ways. And I think they're still, I, th- okay. So one thing I would say to someone who is starting to kind of like dip their toes in um, is that it really is a practice of community, I find. And that because I think where my sisters are kind of, um, they have each other, but they don't necessarily go to meetings. They don't go to the culture center. They just chant. And they think that that's all that you need to do. And Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, like gently say like, Maybe look at that and see, like, because there's so much support you can get in a room of people, or even if it's on Zoom. And there's so much, like, I've been, you know, going through some stuff, and like, I know I can pick up the phone and call someone. And the only people that my sisters have to call is me. And like, I'm not always there. So, like, I, I just would say, like, see if you can find a community wherever you are. And like, then you can ask your questions. You can get recommendations for literature. You can, there are all these things that kind of are opened up when you're kind of making it something bigger than yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. But, yeah, I know um, it totally, totally makes sense. Um, how did you like first get connected to, to your local community and what did that entail? Mm-hmm. Um, so my professor actually, she like welcomed me into her district because everything was on Zoom. And, um, yeah, like I, I was going to meetings. I was starting to share my experience. I was, when the culture center opened up, um, on 15th street in Manhattan, um, I went and I've been going and the next meeting that I go to, I will get my gohans on and I'm so excited. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Uh, yeah. And she was able to introduce me to like the young women's division leader. And, you know, I was able to go to Kaya Corps, which is like a group of young women studying, um, like mostly, um, writings from Sensei or on like the Lotus Sutra or like just general letters to, from Nichiren Daishonin or things like that. Mm-hmm. But like, again, that sense of community and that sense of like, I think showing up for yourself and like actively saying like, I'm going to pick up the phone and call this person that I just met because, you know, I want to have that sense of community. And I think that's something that I also learned from my um, support groups. Um, It's just, you just pick up the phone and you just, you know, like if they're busy, they won't answer. But if they answer, you have a new friend, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) so that's something that I'm really appreciative for. And like now I have so many people in my life and in my corner. And mm. I, th- I really feel for people that are trying to do it alone because it just is that much harder for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, fully agree. It's, and then there's like also those times when, um, cause I know many people, their tendency when they're struggling is to isolate even further. And if you're not in a space where you can make the effort to reach out, because you've established relationships, people will reach out to you, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, human beings need that. Um, yeah. 
I, I am wondering, um, from the time that you really, you know, started practicing and, and getting involved in the community and chanting, um, how did you address the, the, the two kind of big things that you shared in the beginning, one being addiction and then one being bipolar, like those there, you know, Buddhism isn't magic. Like you don't mm -hmm. chant and those things just magically go away. It also takes effort. So I'm, I'm curious how like the, the practice of, of chanting and having the community then helped you navigate those, which are really tough things. Mm -hmm. I think that it helped with my depression um, specifically because I, even if I had a day where let's say I sleep all day because I just don't want to be awake, you know, one of those escapism things, um, I would still like get up and chant. Like when I do eventually get up, even if it was only a couple hours left of daylight, like I'd be like, okay, like your day starts now, you know, like it's not too late. Like, do something. And as far as addiction, I think just seeing the value in my life. And I think also hearing stories about people who, um, like I, I'll be honest, like I was listening to this podcast and there's a story about someone who struggled with addiction and wasn't able to overcome their disease and like stuff like that just brings me to tears because I so see myself in those people and like I know how easily that could be me and I'm just grateful to still be here today and like I think um that sense of gratitude is kind of like propelled and like amplified from like chanting as well because mm -hmm. I'm able to just again, like we keep saying this, just see the value in my life. And like, really, I don't know how to emphasize that enough. Like I wasn't before I started practicing. Mm -hmm. I actively thought about like not being here, you know, and like now I see the value in my life. And like, it's something where I, even on the hardest, hardest days, I'm like, okay, but you know, something else that Sensei talks about is like you kind of choose your karma and then you are able to. So basically, I guess what that means for someone that's like new in this lifetime, like I have chosen to have like a more difficult time of things because when I do eventually overcome it, I will be more relatable and like be able to um, advance towards Kozen Rofu, which is like the spreading of this practice versus if I was born like a princess and the only thing that bothered me was there's a pee underneath my mattress, you know, like, <laughs> um, it would be harder to relate. And they'll be like, of course you're happy. You, you have it all, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know Jihi, if you have anything to add to that, but, um, no, 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 it's, it's so true. Um, yeah, that we call that sort of like your karma becomes your mission. Like the thing that mm. makes you struggle becomes sort of your purpose in your ability to encourage other people who might be going through the same thing. Um, I, I also wonder just very practically speaking, and again, only if you're comfortable sharing, um, but the, um, did like, once you started practicing last year, did it impact like your ability to navigate, for instance, therapy or medication or like the other tools that you've been using, you know, to sort of help your life in case there's anyone who's struggling with 
mental health issues right now. And they're like, mm. e- even just going through that process is hard. Like, what was that side of the story like for you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I would say that absolutely it was like a three or four pronged approach, you know, like I have my my Buddhist practice, I have my therapist, I have my psychiatrist, I have my community. And like, I think all of these things together, not just one individually, but like all of them kind of like melded together into something that was, you know, I have my days where I'm really, really happy and I'm not hypomanic. I'm just really, really happy. And like, just due to the nature of my condition, like I still have those days where I'm, you know, less than that. But like, I know that I've been happy before and that it, something is working because I'm, I'm kind of advancing on the periods of joy and just like enjoyment of my life are seeming like less far between each other, if that makes sense. Um, and just because I have a bad day doesn't mean that I have a bad life. I've heard that said before. And like, I think that's really true. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, I think if you are someone that feels that medication would be helpful, like see a doctor, you know, like it's not something that you have to just, of course, like chanting and prayer is very helpful, but so is medication, <laughs> you know, like, especially if you have some like sort of chemical imbalance in your brain and like that's something that I don't know that's something that no one should have to try and face alone absolutely yeah Buddhism is wisdom too right that often Mm -hmm. like chanting gives us the wisdom to then be able to take the action and in the same way that if you have any other you know illness you can't just like will it away, you know, mm-hmm. our, our bodies need care, all all parts of our bodies. Um, yeah. So I appreciate you saying that because um, it's, yeah, it's so important to like have no worry or shame about that kind of thing. Um, but just to recap a little, you know, um, it sounds like, you you know, where you started and where you are now are, it's like such a huge difference, just your outlook on life itself. Um but I, I wonder, uh, you know, I wanted to ask sort of like what you're pursuing now or what your goals are now. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, at my core, have realized that I've always been a musician. And music is something that brings me so much joy, even when like in those darker moments, like I would always be like writing songs and doing things. So I have a band now um, and we are actively pursuing um, getting gigs and um, that's something that I chant about quite often. It's just like success with my music career. Um, And I also, so I don't know if I mentioned I'm working at a daycare in the mornings from like eight to two. Um, So I also would love to get my master's in early childhood education and social work. And maybe do like music therapy because that would be a job that my mentor, you know, talks about having work that's like beautiful, beneficial and good. And like as a music therapist, like I feel like that would like check all the boxes. So (laughs) 
Um, and that also is something that I think I would really enjoy. So my day job would be music therapy. My night job would be playing with the band. And um, yeah, I'm just, you know, still exploring a lot of things about myself. Um, now that I'm kind of like clean and sober, I think that's like the biggest change. I think um, I'm just getting to know myself and just figuring out like what I like outside of when I'm hiding from myself, you know, when I'm running from myself. And like, I think chanting also opens my eyes to like those innermost workings. And like, I, I feel like I'm able to reflect and just like meditate and just have a lot of like introspective moments when I'm chanting and like, I don't know. Um, I hope that answers your question. No, it totally, it totally does. I think just even being in a in a life condition or in a space where one can look towards the future and be excited to pursue things, mm. like speaks for itself. You know, um, I'll move to my closing question, which I always end with, um, which is if you could give one piece of advice to anyone listening um, who's new to Buddhism and, you know, maybe they have similar experiences to you or maybe they're also just kind of like intrigued and want to know more, what one piece of advice would you give them? I guess my one piece of advice would be don't wait to try chanting. You know, like just... You can YouTube videos of it. You can get the app. You can call a friend, like whatever it is that works for you. Like just try it. And like, I also forgot to mention earlier that when I first started chanting, I didn't realize that like I was chanting for something. Like I was just kind of saying the words. <laughs> so um, I would say chant with like an intention in your mind for something that you want to see change in your life um and see what happens you can see it as a I've heard people in my intro meeting say like you can view it as like a like an experiment you know like just chant for something to change and see what happens so but that to say like it's not magic but like I think something about just like having that intention and like we were speaking about before like just I don't know how to explain it even, but like, it's not like a for sure, like snap your fingers and like everything's going to be amazing, but you would be surprised at like how things can start to shift. I'll just say that. <laughs> I was especially moved by Harvey's spirit to dive into Buddhist study and find concepts like winter always turns to spring to apply to their life. On that note, I'll leave you with one of my favorite passages from Ikeda about just that concept. He writes, The key to victory in our lives lies in how hard we struggle when we are in winter, how wisely we use that time, and how meaningfully we live each day, confident that spring will definitely come. As always, if you have questions or you would like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.